Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
Alright, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, And our word on 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 105.0 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Now, today we're going to be talking with a Canadian author, and uh, his latest book is called All That Glitters. It's the Sergeant Windflower Mystery Series Book 13. So our guest is Mike Martin. Thank you for being here. Nice to be with you, Alan. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So, so Mike, now um, let's, let's start out with you and, and where you come from and how did writing get into your life? Well, I, I guess I've always been a reader. That's where I started, and I think that most writers start that way. When I was growing up, my uh, my I had three older sisters, two of which were teachers, and so they got me reading early, and then they would lug me along with them to the library every week. And so very early on, I developed a love of reading, and uh, and I realized that you could really escape into books, uh, that that could be your own world, and uh, and that was a lot of fun. And then, you know, over a period of time, I became interested in writing myself. Um, I wrote a lot of little pieces, maybe short stories, little stories about my family and things like that. And then, of course, I went through my uh, teenage years and my poetry, dark poetry times that almost every writer goes through. Uh, and I came out of that and discovered that um, I probably wasn't going to earn a living being a writer. Um that really wasn't a career path in my family, um, but I did find jobs and ways to write in my career. And, and so what I found was every job I was in, I would find a way to write in that. And, and after a period of time, that became the focus of my work. And so eventually, uh, I was writing speeches and policy papers and background documents and whatever you needed written, I would write. And uh, and that sort of 
get, got my, uh, my writing energy going. But I still, in the back of my mind, wanted to write fiction. I, I, I thought that when you look at some of the great stories uh, of the past uh, and even of the present, I emulate, I wanted to emulate that. I wanted to write a great story. And it took me a long time to get there, but eventually I did get there. Did you did you have any um any struggle or any any issue trying to publish a book? Like did you um were you self conscious about it or it's was there times that you thought, well, you know, put it out in public for people to see and all that? Were you were you hesitant about that? It took me a long time to share my writing publicly. And I think that's one of the sort of downsides of many uh, aspiring writers is we have this fear of I don't know if it's criticism or that because it's so close to us, because it's our creation, our little babies, then we uh, we we are very sensitive about it. At least I was, and so I had that experience. And it took me a long time to share. Um, I was probably I didn't mind sharing my business work, and and I even moved into freelance writing and was doing some business writing um, articles for newspapers in Canada and the United States and around the world. And you know the. Uh, I didn't mind attaching my name to that, but fiction became something that, that, that because it was my creation, I felt a little uncomfortable about that. But I, uh, I worked my way through it. Uh, I was, I was late in life by the time I got around to fiction writing. I was probably in my forties. And I remember one day saying to my partner that I want to, I want to be a writer, you know, like I want to write a book. And, but I had no idea about where to start. And luckily for me, she was a mystery reader. And so she introduced me to a whole range of mystery writers, from Agatha Christie to Cozy's to Donna Leon, who became one of my real favorites. Um, and I really liked Donna Leon's books because they were set in Venice, uh, which I loved the location. And they also featured food, which I thought was a great way to, to tell a story, is, is to use the location and food. So I had a couple of ideas in my head, and uh, and that sort of started moving me along the journey. But I, like I said, I was in my I, my mid forties before um, I, I I really sort of started focusing on fiction writing. I would call my writing versus other people's writing, and I think that's pretty common experience for lots of people, lots of uh, aspiring writers that. You need to have uh, the energy to go do it, uh, but you also need time and space. And often when we're young or younger uh, and we have more family responsibilities or personal responsibilities or work responsibilities, then we don't really have the time that we really need to, to make that creative process happen. So, you know, after, after I finally got through that initial uh, uh, phase and, and, and trying to figure out how to do it, um, it became much easier once I sort of had a box, the mystery writing box. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as, as you know, Alan, the mystery writer box is very broad. And, uh, and while there are some general criteria you have to follow for certain subgenres, you can basically do whatever you want in the mystery genre. Right. It's, it's the big lie. <laughs> yeah, that there is a formula that we all follow, that you have to follow all the rules because every single writer breaks all the rules. Yeah. Now, how, how, how do you get on with the modern world? You know, social media has taken such a, you know, it's it's impact on the writing and marketing and selling of books and being out there and being a sensitive writer. Do you sort of have any, are you warm with social media or are you kind of hesitant with social media? How do you respond to that? Well, I, I mean, I, I, I embrace social media because it is the vehicle. 
It is how we promote books these days. I mean, yes, you have people like Louise Penny or, you know, pick any, any famous, uh, writer you want to pick. Uh, they have a publicity team and everybody in the world tries to help them sell books, which I don't know why they need any help selling books because they seem to do quite well. But the, everybody else, uh, is on social media in, in one format or another. And, you know, the, uh, if you are if you are a uh, middle of the road writer, or if you are a uh, or a new writer, you have to have a platform in which to advertise your books. It's like you know one of the one of the greatest things about being a published author is you you go into bookstores sometimes and you see your book on the shelf, and that's a fabulous feeling. But that book will not sell unless people know about it. And that's the magic of social media. So I, I, uh, I, uh, I have a sensitivity about I have my, about my personal space, but I, as far as the uh, the writing life, I think that's a public life, and I don't mind sharing any of that on social media. I'm not going to get into debates with people about it, but the vehicle is there, and quite honestly, it is fairly inexpensive. Uh, you you have to put in the time. But once you build up a platform, then it kind of runs on its own. And, uh, and so I spend, you know, a portion of my time, uh, writing and a portion of my time, pr- uh, promotion. And, and most of that is social media. I mean, I do some events. I'll do a couple of events around, uh, when a book comes out to do a book launch. I'll do a virtual book launch. Um, and I may do a couple of book signings at, uh, at local bookstores. But, you know, that's only going to reach a couple of hundred people at most. With social media, I can reach thousands of people, and that's thousands of potential readers. And to me, the whole purpose of writing a book is to, is to have other people read it. And to me, I don't care whether it's in the library or whether it's uh, in a bookstore. If people uh, uh, need to know where your book is, what your book is about, and whether they think they'd like that. So I, I embrace social media as, uh, as the, the way the world is today. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, uh, I can hide away. I can use a fake avatar if I want. I don't have to show my real picture if I don't want to. But, you know, the, uh, for promotional purposes, social media, and especially for me, Facebook, um, uh, is the, is the avenue that allows me to reach thousands of people that I could never reach on my own. So now, now this, all that glitters is, is book 13. So it's a series. Do you, how did you, create a series like how do you go about it do you sort of map out and uh plan um even how many books or kind of the beginning middle and end and divide that into 10 books or are you just the type that writes one book and then goes to the next to the next i'm uh one at a time i'm a i'm a i'm a true pantser some people like to plot out their whole uh, writing career, uh, I'm doing one book at a time, and that seems to work for me. I, I didn't plan on writing a series. Um, I actually, when I started writing the first first book in the series, um, it was a lot of fun, and uh, that book was called The Walker on the Cape. It seems like a long time ago now, and it probably was 12 or 13 years ago. And so, you know, I, I had a beginning, which really helped me. And then the, the middle, I think, is just hard work. When you're writing the middle of the book, you just got to sit down and write so many words a day, and eventually you get a book uh, or some version of a book or some facsimile of a book. Um, the ending is the hard part. Um, and, and I couldn't figure out how to end the book. And so I went back to my partner again, who's the mystery uh, uh, fan in the family, 
And she said, why don't you make it a series? And I thought, wow, that's a great idea. <laughs> and so, you know, the, uh, and, and so because I couldn't figure out how to end the story, you can keep the story going. And so the, the books can all be read standalone. They're all their own, their own, um, they, they have their own integrity as, as a story, their own storyline. But the characters are recurring. And of course, there is character growth and character development. To me, the, uh, the, and, and to me, the, the, the character development is, is the most interesting thing that, uh, you get to see characters grow or grow up or grow old. And, uh, and you kind of go along with that. But, you know, the, uh, the, to me, you know, I, I know that people have different styles and different ways to write. To me, I have so much fun writing the book because I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who did it. Well, you know, I start with a crime or a murder or a mystery. And then over a period of time, the characters tell me the story and I just write it down. And I think that's a fascinating process and, uh, and it's a lot of fun and seems to me to be a lot less work than having to plot out all the story and all the storylines before you start. How do you keep track of, um, let's say, the character development or the changes or the things that happen through a series like this when you've got 13 books so that you don't forget or make mistakes, or can you just memorize it all? Well, a, a lot of it is memory, but I, uh, I I have worked with a couple of really excellent editors, and they kind of keep me on track. And, and I also have, you know, uh, a group of um uh, Beta readers who who um, who keep me on track, right? They 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 keep the characters in character. Um, they let me know when the storyline is drifting off too far. Um, and you know, I have a bit of a character bible that uh, I put together, a sort of a, a a book. And I and every book I start, um, every character I write down, and I and so I know who the character is in the, in this particular story. And it reminds me of who the character was in the previous story or in previous stories. And there's only, in terms of a series, if you think about it like a TV series, there's only five or six recurring characters. Like if you look at uh, Jessica Fletcher, the uh, Murder, She Wrote series, TV series, there's only four or five recurring characters, you know, the, the sheriff and the doctor and, a couple other people, maybe uh, uh, Jessica's uh, nephew shows up from time to time. There's only five or six recurring characters. All the rest are individual characters that would that will come in and out of a, a, a particular story. And you know the uh, and so part of it is part of the fun is you do have to remember uh, what these people were and what happened before, because if you don't, somebody will catch it and remind you. And it has happened to me where. I did make a mistake, uh, and you know the uh, some astute reader uh, pointed it out and said, "Hey, what's going on?" And I simply owned up and said, "Hey, I made a mistake." But I, I think that uh, that having a small core of, of main characters or recurring characters makes it easier because you know what you know that story arc for each one of those characters. So it, it's it's not as complicated as it sounds. It's uh, complicated, but not not unmanageable. Let me just say that. So, you and your characters. How do you describe your relationship with your characters, and where do they come from? Well, I mean, I, I describe Sergeant Windflower, the main character, as having come in, come out of the fog one night in Grand Bank, Newfoundland. 
when I was down there one summer, thinking about how I would write a book, where I would start. And I describe it as he came out of the fog and started telling me the story. And I started writing it down. And, you know, the the other sort of main characters um, kind of came the same way, that uh, they came uh, somewhere out of the creative ether, uh, came into my imagination or, or, or my creative flow, and started talking to me. And uh, I would describe them as my family, as my friends. Uh, when I'm writing uh, a book, uh, they they are obsessively talking to me, and I have to sit down and write. And and I you know I'm propelled to write because they uh, they won't shut up. And so you know that be that becomes a, a challenge for the rest of my life because you know my partner knows when I'm writing a book because she'll say you're not here, you're somewhere else, and I am. I I'm in that other world um, that somehow got created. Now all the other characters tend to be something to do with um, either a combination of people I knew or somebody or some characteristics of people I might have known or some relation to some person in the real world and just dressed up to show that they're fictional. Because the stories, I find, um, take place in the real world. Like the uh, the stories, the, the Sergeant Winfar mystery series is a light mystery series in that there's no graphic violence, there's no... Uh, no sex, there's no bad language, um, there's no blood and gore. The police procedural is very light. Uh, I don't go too far into that because I don't really know it. Um, and so the uh, the um, the stories themselves are, are from real life that, you know, they could be human trafficking, they could be, you know, any types of um, drug smuggling, um, different kinds of, uh, you know, financial crimes. In the latest book, uh, it's diamond smuggling. And so those are all sort of somewhat real things that are happening in the world without naming the actual individuals involved. And the uh, and those characters, you know, I find I they they come to me as part of the story. But the main characters, they're in my head. And they're talking to me until I write this, until I finish the story, until I write the end, and then they give me a break for a few months, and then don't start up again. When you're hearing these voices, you don't drive, do you? <laughs> I put my earbuds in and uh, and listen to them, right? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I find yeah. that I, I, I certainly am distracted, and, and I, I, uh, I'm not somebody who gets up in the middle of the night and writes things down, but I can I, I do get up very early in the morning when I'm writing, you know, like probably 5 o'clock, because I find that, that that's when the ideas are freshest. That's when the voices in my head are the freshest. Maybe I shouldn't be telling people on the air that uh, I have voices in my head, but... Uh, that is the reality of being a fiction writer sometimes. Yeah. I mean, as long as you're not waking up with a shovel by the bed, you know, <laughs> blood on your shoes or something, you're okay, right? Well, so, so that's interesting. Um, when you, when you put together a story, is it, is it really the, the setting or is it the character or, or is it the actual plot? Like you were saying, uh, diamond smuggling and stuff. What do you think it starts with? What's first? I think that I think that there there has to be a crime to start with uh, of some sort, right? Um, and so, what's the crime? And uh, and usually, you know, there's something in the news that sparks my interest. There's a great story that's floating around in my head, and I may or may not write a story around it, a, a book around it. But there's this there's a story of in Toronto there was um, a gold heist where uh, the uh, 
There was a plane that came from Switzerland with gold bars, $20 million worth of gold bars. It parked in a warehouse at the airport, and somebody got in and stole all the gold. And so the story is that one of the, one of the theories is that, that the gold has been melted down and has been taken uh, to the East Coast and is going to be shipped over to Europe. And I'm thinking, well, if the gold is melted down and shipped to the East Coast, maybe it will go to Newfoundland. In which case, I can use it in a story. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so those those things kind of come right. They're they're already there. Um, there's also like I I read I wrote I've written a couple of times about biker gangs. Not a whole lot because I don't want to get in trouble with the biker gangs. Yeah. Uh, but they 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 have sort of kind of resurfaced a little bit on the East Coast um, in some variations, and uh, so that, that that was like a story plucked from the headlines that. That's a starting point, right? And so they, one story, and not, and not, uh, not all like letters, but one story started with the, uh, the bikers doing a, uh, a run, a, a, a motorcycle run, whether it was Labor Day or July 1st or, or whatever, whatever it might be. And, you know, after they'd left a certain community, they found a dead body. And so in the news, the real story was they did have a run. They didn't have a dead body, but that was my story. So when you talk about these stories, when you when you hear them and kind of work with them, and like even with the new one where you're talking about diamond smuggling, um, do you do a fair bit of research as well? Do you try to seek out to make sure you, you get the concept of what happened? Well, I, I had to do a lot more research on this one than I than I usually do. I, I, I try not to do as much work as I, as, as I can. If I can get away with just making things up, that'd be great. Right. But, you know, readers are, uh, and I think mystery readers in particular, are a little fussy around getting things right. And if you don't get it right, they'll let you know. Um, the I had to do a fair amount of, um, of research around diamonds. And I had to do some research in particular because there was some possibility that some of the diamonds may be fake. And so yeah, I had to figure out how would you tell if diamonds were fake? And apparently, there are like seven different seven different tests you can do to determine whether a diamond is fake. And so that's one of the things I found in my research. So, so yes, sometimes you really do have to go and do the research. The other piece I like to have in the books is uh, because the books are set in Newfoundland on the east coast of Canada. Uh, the and 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 I'm from there. Uh, I'm from St. John's, uh, the capital city. But the stories take place in small communities like Grand Bank and Buren and, and Marystown and small communities on the southeast coast. But I like to tell a bit of the story, a bit of the history of Newfoundland and, uh, and, and that particular area. And, and so that becomes part of the research, too. And in, uh, in all that glitters, um, there is a, uh, a community, I guess you call it an abandoned community, just outside of Fortune, Newfoundland, which is probably five minutes away from Grand Bank, and it's called Point Crew. And um, there's a walking trail that takes you down there. It's a beautiful uh, scenic area. It takes you right down to the ocean. And when you go down there, you can see the ruins of the community, uh, the, well, the remnants of the community, I guess. You know, the, the, you can see the, where the church was and where the farmers had their, uh, had their, had their uh, crops and you know, where the school was, the foundation still there. And that community um, was, I guess, forced to leave because when they brought in electricity to Newfoundland, uh, they uh, 
they wouldn't take it down the side roads. They would only, they would only, you could only get it if you lived on the main road. And so the people who lived there had to move out of there and move up to, uh, up to Fortune or Grand Bank or a bigger community. And, uh, and so that's an interesting story in itself. So you get to tell some stories like that. Uh, but I had to go do some research around that and, um, and find out what, why did people leave there and what was the story of Point Crew. So, but that's a kind of a fun thing to do, that, that kind of research. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I really enjoy doing that. And, uh, and I love to add those kind of elements to, uh, to the, to the mystery, especially since it's set in Newfoundland. Right, right. Do you like, do you like, um, or do you find it more interesting writing with, you know, mysteries or murder mysteries out of a smaller community rather than a big city? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, I think that, you know, the, I, I really admire like people who can go into a big city and write about New York or, you know, um, like Ian Rankin writing about Glasgow or, you know, the, uh, the, you know, they know the city so well that they're inside the streets and inside the, like the, down the alleyways and things like that. I think that's fascinating. But writing in a smaller community, um, it's, uh, it's a different feel to the book. Uh, it feels more cozy. Uh, you know, it's not, I mean, the, the Windflower Mystery Series is not a cozy series. Uh, it's a light mystery series, but it has many elements of that. And one is you get to know the community. And, you know, there's a, uh, there's a cafe in, uh, in Grand Bank, the only cafe in Grand Bank, um, called Sharon's Nook and Tea Room. And it's a beautiful place and it has wonderful cheesecake. Um, as well as some other great uh, home home cooked meals, and the um, and then so in the in Windflower Mystery Series, there's a fictional cafe called the Mug Up, and a Mug Up is a late night snack that uh, people used to have in Newfoundland. You'd have a cup of tea and, uh, a, and a cookie or something before you went to bed, and they call that a Mug Up. And the uh, the uh, and people who read the books have gone to uh, Grand Bank. And, and found a cafe and talked to the owner and <laughs> asked them all kinds of questions about where do you think Windflower would live around here? And uh, there's also a, a great uh, B&B there that uh, has its own story. The, uh, it's an old, uh, old house that was actually built out of uh, shipwrecked lumber. There was a guy who lived on an island just off Grand Bank and uh, was a sea captain, and he, and, he, and he came home from the sea and, uh, and wanted to build a house. And so he got all this ship shipwreck lumber and uh, and he built a house for him and his family but of course it was a big house and there was no real hotels at that time and it was back a hundred years ago probably and and so he turned it into like a kind of hotel so anybody who was visiting would get a room uh in his in his house and and so windflower and sheila uh, uh windflower's wife they bought the b&b and that's part of the story as well so in a small community, you can do those kind of things, and those things, there's a there's a there's a realness to them without being you're not you it's it's not really the uh, the B and B that 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 you know that's called the Thorndike, the real Thorndike. It's called something else that Sheila and Winfar have. The same way at the cafe. So you change change the names to protect the innocent, but the idea that being a small community, you can do those kind of things, and people love the idea that they know the community. That they know the characters, that they know where people go for coffee, that they know where the church is, they know where the RCMP station is, and there's a comfort in that, and I think that's part of the charm of writing a small town mystery. Yeah, yeah. And there's also something about the characters 
everyone knows everyone's, you know, it's a different feel. In the city, you can be lost amongst a million people, right? And it's, it's a different, uh, yeah. I, I think a different type of person, you know. There's no hiding in Grand Bank. Grand Bank's probably got 2,000, 2,500 people, right. most of whom retired. There's, they know everybody. I mean, as soon as if you're a stranger, you come into town, everybody knows you're there. <laughs> and everybody who knows you will come visit you. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, well, so this is interesting. When you put together a story and you put together a book, um, you want people to be entertained and, and you have your your thoughts there. But do you think that there's maybe a subtext or some sort of a meaning or something that you want people to get out of a book when they read it? And it may happen organically. You might not have sat there and go, this is what I want to say. It might just come out from how the story progressed. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not a big message guy in terms of um... – I think there's lots of themes that are underneath the sort of the Sergeant Windflower mystery series, uh, and they come through in each one of the books. And the themes are, you know, be kind if you can, and you and you always can be kind. You know, the uh, that you know, friends and family are the most important things, and so you have to spend time with them. It's important to uh, to share food and have fun together. But I, you know. I, I don't have a big moral message to deliver about good and evil. Uh, I mean, the bad guys never win. Uh, Windflower is an RCP officer, and, and the RCP always get their man or woman. So, you know, the uh, the the good guys always win at the end, and, and it'll always be like a happy ending at the end of the books because I think that's important. But I think it's really important today, especially, to allow people to have a couple of hours of make-believe, of creation time, where they just sit and relax and can enjoy themselves and don't have to worry about anything. In this nice, comfortable setting, even though somebody may die <laughs> and somebody, uh, you know, bad things might happen to some people, that the good goodness in people will still come through. And at the end, I would want people to feel good about reading the book. And if they came back to me and said, I felt really good after reading that book, that would, that would, that I, 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 that would completely satisfy me. I know that the books um, are very relaxing for people. I think that's really good. I have a friend who had a friend with cancer, and they had to be really relaxed when they went to uh, do their treatment. And she told me that she gave uh, her friend one of the Windflower books, and the person read that book before they went to the cancer treatment, and they said they felt really relaxed, and they could go and get the maximum benefit of the treatment. And I thought, wow, that's amazing, right? Um, and so I think if people feel good after reading the book, that's a pretty good deal. Well, yeah, that's, it's, you know, it's, it, it, when you have Sergeant Windflower, do you kind of have a way of getting into the head of an RCMP officer like that? Like how do, how do you sort of get that character out of yourself? You know, it kind of starts with individual feelings, um, you know, like, and I think those are universal feelings, um, you know, whether they're, you know, comfort in yourself or do you have ways of uh, making yourself feel comfortable? You know, the are you a good person in the world trying to do good in the world? Um, those kind of things was, is where Windflower starts. In terms of his life as an RCP officer, most of it is... Uh, most police work is pretty boring and routine, really. Um, 
you know, there's not a whole lot of glamour in police work. Um, and, you know, so the, the police work itself becomes kind of secondary to what's going on in his personal life. And so I, I feel comfortable writing about that. In terms of the RCP itself, um, I do get into a few times where the people on the ground don't get the support they need. And I think that's true. And I think that people on the ground, particularly uh, female officers, don't get the support they need. And in fact, often have a hard time. And while that is changing, it is changing very slowly. This is a very hierarchical uh, organization. It is top-down. It is command and control. And in that, it's very difficult to, uh, it's very difficult to, you know, I, I guess accomplish what you need to accomplish in a small community because in a small community, you, you become not just an authority figure, but you become part of the community and you can only do, you can only do what you need to do if you have the support of the community. So therefore you have to change. You can't tell people what to do in Grand Bank. You can make some suggestions to them. You can have a discussion about them and they're going to, they're going to likely follow you if you have good advice. And that's where Windflower tends to go on most of his situations. How do you, how do you think, you know, since you've been in the business of writing and now you've done quite a few books, did you notice a difference in in your writing or in who you are through each book? Do you think that each book makes a significant change in yourself? Well, I, I, I think that every book has gotten better in terms of the writing. I would say that. And I think in every book, I venture a little further. Uh, there's probably a little more of me in every book uh, than there was at the beginning. And I think that's part of the reluctance that we all have as writers to share too much, uh, unless you're writing a, uh, uh, an autobiography, uh, that I think that, but I think that overall, I would say that, you know, the quality of my writing is, and I think that's partly because I've given myself the freedom. And I know that um, as long as I, as long as I stay true to the story and true to the characters, I can do just about anything in there, uh, except for, except for, Killing off characters. That becomes really, really difficult. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the, I know Stephen King says, kill your darlings, but, you know, the, uh, the, it's very difficult and, and to look at your core characters, um, and have anything happen to them. And, you know, and of course I have my own guidelines about what I would or wouldn't do in terms of what I wouldn't talk about. Um, you know, anything to do with children or animals or things like that, I just wouldn't do that, right? But the uh, the biggest change for me has been um, I do feel free. I feel free to be able to write more creatively, to go a little deeper, to go a little more emotional. And one of the things that Windflower does um, that he learned from his family is he's a dream interpreter or a dream weaver. And, uh, and he learned that from his, from his aunt and uncle who are master or were master uh, dream weavers. And so in his dreams, Windflower gets to go different places and he gets to talk to animals and he gets to talk to all kinds of things that I would never have thought about doing at the beginning. But because, uh, it, it was a natural progression of the story as his uncle and aunt came into his life and taught him these skills that I'm able to do those things. So I think there's, and I, th I think that probably most writers would say that two things. One is their writing is improved. And second, that they feel freer. Um, and not that, not that we don't, like, I don't want to write a bad book and have everybody stuffing out of it, right? <laughs> you know, like, I'd love to have people say, that's, that's a great book. But on the other hand, 
I'm less worried about whether people like it or not. Um, if I'm happy with the story and the beta readers I have are happy with the story, I'm pretty sure that people who like that kind of story and the Windflower series are going to like the story. So I feel pretty free in going way past what I would have had as my boundaries at the beginning. Yeah. So, so what's next for you now? Like what you've got this book out now, it just came out um, on the 19th uh, of May. So uh, are you already working on a new book? Well, I have, uh, I, I, what I try and do is I try to finish off the next book before I release a new book. And so I just finished off book 14, um, going through final uh, comments and edits and, and almost ready to send it to my editor. So, uh, but I, I do, what I do like to do is I like to let the new book get out there and breathe for a while. Um, and so I've got book 14 done. I'll put that away for a couple of months. I'll do some promotion and I'll do some talking about this new book because I think every book, like it, whether it's 13 or whether it's four, or whether it's one, uh, they deserve a chance to go out to the world and, uh, and find their readers. And uh, so I'm going to work on making sure that happens. And so, uh, that's, that'll be the focus for about a month or so. So I'll do that till the end of June. And then I'll likely take July and August off. In July, I tend to just enjoy the weather. Um, and in August, we go to Newfoundland. And when I'm in Newfoundland, I almost always get the idea for the next book. And so, so far, that's been the process. And, uh, you know, and, and so if I, if you look at my year, my year tends to be, I write for, you know, January to April, May. Um, the last book will, that I wrote last year will come out in May. And then I take a little break or do some promo, promo. And then in the fall, I'll start thinking about the next book, and then I'll start writing again in January. So that's kind of my writing uh, routine now for the last <laughs> last number of years. And uh, as long as I have the energy and time and uh, and space, and as long as people want to keep reading the books, I'll, I think I'm going to try and keep writing. So now, um, how do people find you then? What social media? Do you have a website? Where do they go to find Mike Martin? Well, they can go to uh, Facebook. The Sergeant Windflower Mysteries are on Facebook. Just look up Sergeant Windflower Mysteries. You should be able to find it there pretty easily. And there's also a website, www.sergeantwindflowermysteries.com. So it should should be fairly easy to uh, to find me, and uh, and and the books are should be everywhere. It's certainly uh, uh, all over the place on Amazon and Indigo and starting to get out into bookstores, um, but not so much probably on the West Coast where you are, but certainly on the East Coast in Ontario and uh, in Newfoundland and Nova Scotia and, and Ontario and, and uh, through, through Eastern Canada. They'll be in bookstores soon. They're in some bookstores already, some local bookstores. And, you know, the uh, but I'm fairly easy to find, and I'd love to hear from people. And if uh, if uh, if you anybody wants to drop me a line, I'd happy to happy to uh, send me a message on Facebook. I'm happy to entertain you. Well, there you go. Fantastic. We'll have all that up on the website so people can find you. One click, real simple. How was how was COVID then? Did it did it interfere with your writing or did it kind of make you? Uh, does it put you in a mood where you can't write or were you really? Um, able to write through it. I mean, I think writing was my saving grace during COVID. 
as the world shut down, we we ended up uh, living out in the country. Uh, my partner has a place out in the country. Ended up living out there, which was quite safe and quite nice. And uh, and um, and so I spent a lot of time in nature. Um, a lot of woods nearby and uh, animals and things like that. And I found it was one of the most creative times of my life that uh, I had no real outside distractions and nothing else to do besides write. And so during that period, I uh, I did a windflower book, but I also did a book of Christmas stories as well. So for me, um, and I think for many writers, uh, COVID was, I don't want to say a blessing, COVID was an opportunity uh, to do some things. Now, having said that, the uh, I mean, there's certainly some, there were certainly some downsides to it. There was no more those those the loss of human connection. I think really hurt. It hurt lots of people, and uh, and and I'm no different in, in that regard. And the uh, and and the uh, the it sort of pushed everything online. Before there was a little space between online and the real world, or the you know between the virtual world and the real world. Now it's all kind of mixed up, and, uh, and I think we're trying to figure out our, our way back through that, right? And, uh, and I'm having the first online book launch uh, on June 10th in Ottawa uh, that I've had in four years. So, you know, the, uh, the interaction with, uh, with readers has been difficult. Um, we did a, uh, we did a, uh, as part of a group that did a mystery conference last year, an on- online mystery conference that was actually quite successful called uh, Maple Leaf Mystery. But it's uh, not the same as being together in person. So I think that uh, that that we missed some things through that. Some things were good. We discovered some things, uh, some good things. But you know, I think that it was uh, it was a mixed blessing. I would say. Right, right. No, and nothing quite like the human interaction, you know, and book signings and events and stuff that you can't get online. Right. It's yeah. Not the same. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Um, learned learned a bit here, and of course, now your newest book is called "All That Glitters," and it's the Sergeant Windflower Mystery Series Book Thirteen. Um, again, our guest is the author of that series and that book, Mike Martin. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Alan. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the House of Mystery Radio Show. To find out more about our guests, hosts. All shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.